You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Today, my guest is Heather McDonald, an education specialist and primary school teacher. Heather has been designing, developing, and implementing education programs and strategies for nonprofit and other organizations for over 20 years. In this episode, we explore a range of global sporting events, including the Olympic and Paralympic Games, and how they provide a meaningful, engaging, and practical context for learning and community connection. Heather outlines the value of 21st century skills, including problem solving, critical thinking, and teamwork. She also explains some of the practical adjustments made to her programs in response to the global pandemic and the increasing significance of student voice in tackling a range of problems, big and small, local and global. Here's my conversation with Heather McDonald. So very nice to see you again, Heather. Uh, it's been a while. It has been a long while. So it's, I'm in see Sydney, you you're, you're in Canberra. Sorry, I, I missed that. Good to see you as well. So... I thought we could start off by finding out more about you. We used to work together many years ago. We worked on a few uh, really, really great projects. We'll find out more about those later, possibly. Mm-hmm. But um, for the moment, I just want to find out, uh, like, who are you? Where did you come from? What do you do? You know, up until this point in time. Thank you, um, Mark. I've I've been uh, working in education my whole career. Um, I started as a primary school teacher in far north Queensland um, and I was working with, you know, all sorts of different communities in north Queensland. Um, I decided teaching wasn't really uh, where I wanted to go and I wanted to do some travel. So I went to the UK for two and a half years um, where I did actually continue to teach over there. But I also got involved in some um, some great uh, projects uh, around sports. So I worked on the Kellogg's Bike Tour of Britain, which is similar to the Tour de France in Britain, and the um, World Triathlon Championships. And those that taste of events really kind of got under my skin. And when I was in France, when Sydney won the 2000 bid, so I decided I'm going to be in France. Uh, I was going to be... The 2000 bid for what? Oh, the, sorry, the bid for the, the Sydney 2000 Games. And okay. so when I moved back to Australia, I decided I was moving to Sydney. I was going to be a volunteer. I was going to be whatever I could be just to be a part of those events. And um, uh, I was lucky enough to work on the Paralympic Games in their education unit. And that, I guess, was the start of this amazing time I had working with across education and an organisation or a business uh, to work out what are the opportunities that we can provide for students and how can we really engage students in an event like Paralympic Games. And uh, so to cut a long story short, I, um, uh, in working with the Games and the athletes, 
we um, we had a connection between the athletes and students all around Australia, and we got the um, 350,000 students come to the Games, which was the largest school excursion ever, uh, and they came as far away as uh, we had busloads from WA. And I guess for me personally and professionally, it was so fulfilling to see students that may never have had the opportunity to come to um, an Olympic or Paralympic Games, they're on site and experiencing what it is to be a part of such an amazing event. And um, after the Paralympic Games, I went to the Commonwealth Bank and set up their financial literacy program because I was looking for how can we create the best opportunities for students. And when I'm talking about those opportunities, it's really uh, what can they, what can the business offer the students rather than what the, you know, what the business can get from the students, what can they offer the students to really engage them? Um, and through the um, Commonwealth Bank and National Youth Week and then with Australian Rugby, uh, all of my uh, work with those organisations was really looking at the best outcomes for, for the students. So, and from that point in time, I started my own business and I've worked across sport, uh, financial institutions, uh, startups, and also, um, uh, uh, I guess, not-for-profits, looking at how we can really support them in supporting students. So, and I guess one of the things that really drives that in looking at those opportunities for students is really looking at, you know, we've got we've got a, a future, a work future that's really uncertain, and so allowing students the opportunity to to be problem solvers, collaborators, and critical thinkers really undermine anything that I do with an organisation. So my first question to an organisation is what can you offer students that doesn't necessarily cost you money, but what can you offer them that they're not going to get anywhere mm. else? So that's really, really what drives education partnerships today. Okay, so what I was thinking earlier, like you said, the best opportunities for students and the best outcomes for students, and you've touched on some of those with problem solving and critical thinking. So what what did the students, I mean, some of these are, might be really obvious, but um, what what did the students get out of their, their experience with the Paralympic Games, for example? Well, for the Paralympic Games, uh, the link, they had a link with an athlete. So they got to know an athlete particularly well. And I guess the Paralympic Games in particular, um, understanding uh, disability and that even though people have a disability, it doesn't mean that they cannot um, be elite athletes. So I think that was a really big turning point. Uh, well, a, re a really good lesson for students to be exposed to student, uh, to people with a disability because many people don't have that ongoing connection with someone with a disability. So they they have these preconceived ideas, I think, and, and coming to a Paralympic Games where you see these athletes performing on the world stage was really exciting and insightful. Um, and I guess the other thing with coming to an event or even just connecting with an athlete and watching the games from home, they could be a part of this celebration of um, people from all around the world. So there's even 
um, that understanding of different cultures and understanding of um, diversity, I guess. So inclusiveness and diversity was a really strong, strong elements that came out, particularly during the Paralympic Games. Mm -hmm. And then possibly at the, at the other end or somewhere else along that spectrum, what did the students get out of the bank? Like what were the um, opportunities that the bank offered them? Yeah, so the, the Commonwealth Bank um, had a, a, a department, a new department um, back when I was working with them in 2001 um, that was looking at how can we best support students' financial literacy. So we were looking at what was already out there, but what could the Commonwealth Bank and the resources that it had do to... So what, 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 what's financial literacy? What is that? Being able to um, manage your own Sorry budget. Sorry to cut you off there, Bob. No, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Um, it's being able to manage your own money, understanding money and how um, you can make smart choices with uh, with what you do with that money. So, I mean, it was, it was directed at secondary school students and, you know, the secondary student, students can be very... Um, aspirational about you know how much money they're going to earn and and what they're going to buy with that so we we put a program together to take them through the realities for example of uh, buying a car so everyone thinks oh you just buy a car well I shouldn't say everyone thinks but the research had showed us that that students of that age they think they buy a car and that's it but they don't take into consideration the um, insurance, the um, registration, the petrol, and all of the things that all the financial uh, elements. Sounds like a downer. Sounds like it's a, a, well, a kind of like it's you know. it's really <laughs> providing them with the information, and you know it it was it was gamified back when we started. So kids oh, were really oh, there is a key term. What yes, the, for those that are not in the know, what is that term? Gamified. Well. It's almost like, you know, you, well, you, you interact with the content. So we've got the, in, in the background, we've got all of these, okay, well, if you make this decision, how it's going to impact. Um, so those decision-making is put into a game that look and feel like, you know, you're interacting with something and you're, but you're learning along the way. It was sort of, uh, that's, that's was the idea of how we were, we were trying to educate these students about financial decisions and and whether it's buying a car or moving out of home. So there were all these all these decisions about finances. How much does you know people talk about um, how much they earn in a week? But when you actually look at what the expenses that go out during the week, how much do you have left to play with? And you know, I shouldn't say this is a huge generalisation, but. Um, you know, I don't think there's an awareness about what those expenses mean and how much they've actually got rather than they get their paycheck, they spend it all, but they've got no money for rent. So it's just trying to uh, support the students in in being aware of those um, expenses and of those financial decisions they're making um, at that time. So, so all of this, even though you said that you'd left teaching a long time earlier, it sounds as though you're very much still in the swing of doing stuff that teachers do. Look, I I really enjoy teaching and I really enjoyed 
um, teaching when I was teaching full time. And in actual fact, um, after about 15 years of being out of the classroom as such, um, I started doing some teaching again um, in primary schools. Um, and, and, and it runs alongside my business education partnerships now because education is, is, has changed a lot since when I first graduated. So I wanted to know what is... What Hang is, on a minute. Wait, wait right there. What does that mean? For people that aren't teachers, possibly, education has changed. I agree wholeheartedly. But what, in what way? How has teaching changed? Well, one of the big things, I guess, that's, you know, technology has changed. Also, how teachers teach and how, and under, well, it's, it's not how students learn, but I guess there's been a lot of research on what are the what is the best way for students to learn? And so there's been a huge change from learning things by rote to, you know, they're now trying to get students to really think about what they're learning and why they're learning it. And that's where, you know, they talk about these 21st century skills, which is problem solving, collaboration, teamwork, um, critical uh, and creative thinking comes into play now because we're looking at a very different work environment than we did say 30 years ago where we don't know what the future of work is going to be it's rapidly changing so students need to be adaptable to that change so do we teach them to be rote learners so that they can do repetitive tasks or whether we want them to be creative thinkers so um, you know looking at ways that we can really engage with students to make that learning interesting and engaging mm. yeah some of those um, 20, 21st century skills or transferable skills or they go by different names but they um, on the project that we worked on with, with the Australian Rugby Union uh, which is oh, 15 or so years ago now they they kind of align with that the aims of that project as I remember yes well we had the themes of uh, well I guess when I when I started working with rugby and I, I actually had no idea about rugby but I did have a, an idea about how to engage students so when I started working with rugby uh, my my um, directive I guess for the education program was to encourage students to come to the game games but also to um, to really start to to find out more about the broader part of rugby so it's the values of rugby looking at teamwork and and that that was the way that 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 the Australian Rugby Union wanted to really engage with students was you know rugby is not just about putting boots on your feet it's about going to the game it's about teamwork it's about fair play it's about pride in um, representing your team so trying to use those values so that it um, was relevant to students and could actually uh, encourage students in those values. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. So we've heard about Paralympic Games and Commonwealth Bank and then the rugby, but 
you've actually returned a few times to um, the Olympics, the Olympic movement and educational resources that are um, related to Olympism, or is that what you call it? It is Olympism, yes. And it's been... uh, The Olympic movement has... uh, Look, from the Paralympic Games, I, um, I... and we worked very closely with the Olympics in Sydney 2000. Uh, I've had a really strong connection with the movement. Um, and, I mean, I was lucky enough to be invited over to uh, Switzerland in 2016 to work with uh, the International Olympic Committee and their Olympic Values uh, Education Program. So that what are, some of their, what are some of their Olympic values? Uh, teamwork. Um, I'm just trying to think of them off the top of my head. I thought I'd written them down somewhere, but I haven't. Um, so it's <laughs> they should the jo- be in oh, your no, no, no. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, there, there's the, the, I guess there's two levels. There's one which is the Olympic movement, which is excellent friendship and respect. And then there's educational themes, they call them. And so this is joy of effort, fair play, respect for others, pursuing excellence and balance in life and mind, body and will. But I guess for me, what is it about the the Olympic movement that is so uh, engaging for people internationally? And it's this idea that the Olympic movement is not just about the athletes performing. There's a whole lot of, I guess, it's almost like onions, you know, the the layers and layers of onion because, you know, you've got the athletes competing at the Games. Then around that, you've got this whole community that supports the Games in that host city. And then you've got all these people around Australia that are either, or around the world that are either, um, supporting an athlete or they're just watching the spectacle of it, whether it's ceremonies or whether it's sport. So so what is it about the Olympic movement that really draws people into it? And it's this idea about Olympism that at that time, it's the coming together of all of these countries, diversity, inclusion. It's all these people that are, are feeling the, the Olympic movement. And the Australian Olympic Committee um, did a piece of research a couple of years ago and asked that very question of Australians, what is it about the Olympic movement that um, that really sort of draws you in? And the outcome of that research was it's this idea of fulfilment. They're watching athletes fulfilling their dreams and that almost kind of um, comes back to the individual going, oh, so what can I do? You know, what, what is something that I really love to do? And... Um, and that's, I guess, you know, where the, 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 the Olympic movement is. They look at, you know, becoming aware of, of what it is that you really love. You know, putting focus and motivation in there um, to, to look at where you want to go. Setting goals. And then if things don't work out, as, you know, what some of the most powerful images from the Games is when, when the things don't go right you come second or yes or you pick up you, you know last or you you pick up another athlete sorry. who's you pick up another athlete who's fallen you know those sort of images it's all about you know it's not necessarily about being first second or third it's about being part of this and and 
this friendship and respect for um, for other human beings is is something that really comes out in the games. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I can I can respect that 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 is definitely a thing. So, what does that all mean for you and your your kind of resource development or your partnership? How does that how does it start to play out in terms of what you where do you go once once you know that you've got this Olympics um, kind of project? What happens then? So, for every games, we create some resources. Um, so that educators can use those resources when the games are happening. Um, so, you know, for, for, for Rio and for Pyeongchang and also for Tokyo, we developed resources that looked at not necessarily sport. In actual fact, sport or PE is only one very PE. small... PE. PE physical <laughs> education <laughs> is only one small component. It's all about the values that, that are Culture. around... Yeah, intercultural understanding. It's about, okay, um, you know, Brisbane has put its hand up for the 2032 Games, what sort of things could students be involved in now and in 10 years' time? So, so this, it sounds like there's quite a bit of lead time. Um, with, the, with the Olympic resources, uh, that, that's for hosting a Games, the, you know, 10 yeah, years' time thing. The, re, the resources. The resources, we have them out usually the year of the Games. Um, we oh, yeah. promote that they're coming. So... The resources are kind of a, on a two-year with a winter and summer games, a two-year cycle. So uh, they're being developed and we're all we're already looking for Beijing, which is hosting the winter games. Uh, so we're looking oh, at right. what can we do during those winter games So because the Tokyo resources were finished last year um, or the beginning of this year, I should say. And But there's other things that, with the Olympic movement that we're working on aside from the resources. So we've got a program uh, called Olympics Unleashed where athletes go out and do um, presentations in schools. And I guess in the past, there's been a lot of, you know, athletes talking about their accomplishments rather than thinking about their audience. And that's where I come in, where I go, okay, well, what does a 15-year-old want to hear, feel, see, do after they've been through this presentation. So the presentations are heavily weighted on um, pursuing uh, your passion or being the best version of yourself. So it's trying to take it back to the student in saying to that student, every single person has a gift or has a has potential in whatever form that may be. It may be sport, but it might be music, art. It could be science, math, English, literature. So... It's the spirit, the underlying spirit and the drive. Yes. So we work with the athletes. We train the athletes. I mean, we were training them to deliver face-to-face, -face, but obviously a lot of our... Well, the um, athletes are presenting all online now. Um, we're hoping that yeah, we'll be able to... Yeah, well, well I was it was. I going to ask you with the whole, um, you know, COVID. global situation <laughs> at the moment, what, what are some of the adjustments or, you know, what's what's happening? Well, in, in 
in terms of the initiative, I mean. Yeah, sure. So with Olympics Unleashed, it was all face-to-face up until COVID. Um, and we had to quickly turn things around so that including training the athletes again uh, for delivery online. Um, we had to change their presentation so that it was shorter and it included physical movement breaks so the kids weren't sitting there for half an hour just listening um, because sometimes it was difficult with that interaction piece so we need to energize the kids to keep them in, engaged um, yep. we also had to um, to work with oh gosh across all different jurisdictions of education in looking at what is acceptable um, you know what is the best technology um, how can we best prepare our athletes so we we spoke to a lot of education sectors on what do they need and how can we help and I guess that's where um, what drives me is I'm not an expert in um, as a teacher I, I ask a lot of people I ask a lot of questions uh, to ensure that with the clients that I work with where we're doing the best we can for students in classrooms and educators in classrooms yeah I really like the way that you're um, it kind of brings to light the role or well, your role but as as well as the role of the teacher in that there's a whole lot more to teaching than just the content it's mm. like well and then when you have to adjust you have to translate well what you, what you would normally do face to face but you don't have that option anymore so what do you do to still essentially to still achieve the learning outcomes and yes. so it's kind of what else what else what other things that have you done well, to adjust i guess well, actually, I've got a, a, a great story about um, uh, we had this program that um, has kind of been bubbling away for quite some time and COVID was actually really, well, not, not that it, it um, was a booster to it, but it, it programmed to continue just as it was. And it was the Olympic, um, Australian Olympic Connects. So this is students in Australia connecting with students in Japan um, and it was all through the Japanese language teachers and through the English language teachers so so we were able to continue that and I guess it was because we'd had everything in place it was able to um, to operate as normal um, and and it was has been massively successful in that pilot so we'll be rolling that out next year and what is that? What are some of the features of it when it when it's operating as normal? What what do the students do in that program? So it's up to the, the educators to decide how they communicate because um, I'm not sure uh, if your listeners are aware. Well, in fact, I wasn't aware um, that schools in Japan are not that technical advanced. Um, they like to 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 keep the technology out of the classroom um, on the whole. So it, it wasn't as advanced as Australia. So between the educators, they decide how they're going to communicate. And then there's there's a series of um, themes that or uh, questions, I guess, that they look at. They look at 
what are the similarities and differences between your school day, what you do after school, what you do on the weekend? And it's really starting to try to understand students of the same age and their how they um, uh, work in their communities and, and sharing of ideas. And, and it's really about getting greater understanding uh, about different cultures and, and students in, in different countries. Hmm, very good. And so well, I guess will this kind of continue on? I guess it's all a bit up in the air, the whole, um, you know, anything to do with large events and global Yes, well, I guess it, I'm, I'm actually more optimistic uh, than I thought I would be, to be perfectly honest, because I think if you think creatively, you can actually come up with different solutions. And, and I think the, um, the Japanese Olympic Committee and the IOC are really trying to look at, well, how can we make this event happen? Um, and still keep people safe. So I haven't sort of um, given up on Tokyo Games <laughs> next year. I think that I think there'll be some way that they'll be able to get it to go ahead. If you look at, you know, different sporting codes, and I just heard that um, the Sydney to Hobart is going to happen. Um, so, you know, the, the, it's just thinking creatively about how. So one of the, I, I guess one of the other things that, um, has been part of the education program for any games is we encourage students to do some village arts. So they do some art about inspiring this, the Olympians, and we actually physically send those pieces of artwork to the host city and they get put on the walls. So I was actually just talking to a, a art teacher yesterday and I guess the benefit of having it on the walls is the athletes often take them home with them and keep them forever. Um, but I was talking to an art teacher yesterday saying, okay, well, there's a little bit of concern about getting these art pieces to Tokyo and how you make sure that there's no COVID virus on the pieces of paper and people putting it up at the, so, you know, just the logistics of doing it. And, um, you know, we're talking about whether we can scan them and project them. So, you know, that's some, the type of creative solutions we're trying to come up with so that the athletes still see the amazing artwork that the students have done, but everyone is safe. So I think it's just really thinking creatively about how things are done. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. So all these different projects, they, they seem to, there seems to be a lot of collaboration in there, in, in amongst all the, um, all the people that are involved. Um, can you tell us more about how that, what that collaboration looks like and then what, what's the point of it? Like why, why what's, the, what's the sort of ultimate outcome? Mm. I guess one of the things and that education partnerships and particularly myself, 
um, as I mentioned before, I'm not an expert on every curriculum area. I'm not an expert on sport or finance. If I'm, if I'm reading your really. tone correctly, yes. <laughs> well, you don't need to be. Every, every good instructional designer knows that you team up with a subject matter expert. That's correct. So it's being able to pull the the right people into the conversation. So obviously within um, with education, um, I do talk to curriculum developers, but I talk to a lot of teachers that are actually in classrooms and find what out- What do they what tell is, you? Well, it depends on, you know, it was a bit like when I was talking about, um, you know, I went and spoke to an art teacher yesterday going, we've had this program, you know, with the Olympic movement and putting artwork up. Um, this is our challenge. Uh, these are my ideas. What do you think? And through that, just being able to um, to speak to someone who is an art teacher, because I want I want you know the kids to be able to be creative in their artwork and be fulfilled in developing that artwork. So um, yeah, it's just talking to the people that are actually working with students to find out well what could work. You know, what are the, the best outcomes? And I've got lots of ideas, but when, you know, I have to work between the business or the organisation, being the Australian Olympic Committee, understanding what um, parameters or, or challenges there are from, uh, from the organisation and also what the organisation want to achieve by investing or, or providing um, these opportunities to students, but also, you know, making sure that, you know, whatever we do is is going to um, open the eyes of students and, you know, the collaboration is an important part of that because every state and territory um, has got different uh, emphases in their, um, in their delivery. So, you know, I like talking to lots of people and collating uh, all of their ideas to then present the best idea to the business. And I mean, if I can just take a step back to the Paralympic Games um, in 2000, I was up in the Northern Territory talking to schools about coming to the Games and they said, oh, Heather, that's great, except we can't get there. You know, it's too expensive. And through that, I went back to, to Sydney and, and talked to a lot of people and found subsidy to take kids to to Canberra. And so we approached the federal government about supporting the students um, come to the Games with a travel subsidy, which was successful um, with $1.3 million. So it's, you know, talking it's a lot to of lots, bus tickets. It's a lot of bus <laughs> tickets. And, and, like, it's through talking to other people that, and I think a lot about, you know, well, how can we make this happen? And what is going to be the best outcome for the students and the best outcome for the, for the business? So, you know, I, I don't think of all of those things on my own. It's, it's in talking to lots of different people. And I've got a great network of, of people that I've known for, you know, ever since 2000. Um, so particularly since 2000 in, um, you know, people being able to provide me with guidance. Hmm. And I guess the fact that you do have that background as a teacher, you can kind of get the that your perspective is um, kind of you can see where they're coming from, even yes. though you're not, um, you know, doing it day to day as they are. Well, I mean, you know, I do teach 
every now and again. <laughs> I t- well, I te- oh, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm still teaching. I, st- I teach um, oh, one day a fortnight, a couple of days a fortnight when I can uh, because I really enjoy teaching. And, I, and I'm still learning every single day. So uh, I guess also for my clients, I can say to them, look, I'm, I'm, I actually still am involved in a classroom with students, with teachers. And it, it, um, I, apart from me actually enjoying that, um, I'm also able to speak with, with some sort of authority and credibility that well actually I was in the classroom last week this is what happened I was talking to an art teacher yesterday this is what happened so it provides um you know I guess a a currency to the ideas that I have and um and my connection with with students in classrooms and also teachers Mm. What about wrangling things like the curriculum? Like there's the, I, I dare say most of the Australian curriculum is kind of now rolled out. I, I, I'm not across that space myself, but I know that it was kind of all happening several years ago and it was staged. But mm. um, but then I didn't realise that the whole state thing is a, well, I guess it's all in, it's always been that thing of interpreting curricula. And so that kind of makes sense that that, that kind of – and then even down to the school level, you know, they might have different programs and that the curriculum is still being implemented but it's happening in a different format. Mm. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Well, the- there is the Australian curriculum uh, that um, – well, the yeah, is nas- it's supposed to be national, but New South Wales and Victoria – have got a slightly different um, approach and they have their own syllabus or curriculum. Oh, right. Okay. So I've got to get up to speed myself. <laughs> well, you know, the it was interesting because, you know, I was kind of, I can remember being in conferences where we were really advocating for a national curriculum and it was so exciting when it came in for me as a business or, you know, at that stage, I think I was working with Commonwealth Bank. So any, any resource that we developed, we had to map it to seven different curriculums uh, prior to the national curriculum coming in. So it was really labour intensive um, and took yeah. a lot of time. So the national curriculum, we were, I was, as personally, I was very excited about it. But, there's a, but even so, we have got a national curriculum, but New South Wales and Victoria have got, uh, well, New South Wales is quite different. Victoria is not that different but there are some differences there so there is still um if you're curriculum mapping uh in and to be inclusive of new south wales and um victoria you need to to map separately so particularly in new south wales like you know i've had teachers in new south wales say unless it's um, mapped to the sydney uh, uh to the new south wales syllabus we're not touching it our directorate has said we don't touch it yeah, I guess it is. It does sometimes come down to that practical kind of outcome or situation, and and then that's got to be wrangled and managed in itself. Mm. Um, just that the the term, the key term, curriculum mapping was sending shivers up my spine. Um, for those I actually, people I actually know, quite enjoy it. I mean, it's I, I do I I like curriculum mapping, but it does take time. Has to be done properly. But what does it mean for people that aren't familiar? What what is that even? So. Um, <laughs> Can you give us an so example? So usually, like uh, an example. So, um, just a simple one. 
Yeah, sure. So, like, for example, if you've got... Um, I'm going to go down to lower primary. So in lower primary, uh, they're learning about... Um, the curriculum talks about, um, you know, getting to know your friends, etc. So... Um, and the really broad. That's yeah, the, the curriculum. Really yeah, curriculum says you know getting to know your friends, and it's also you know all about you know friendship groups and you know being respectful of others, etc. So then, I write a resource that actually demonstrates that. So you know we talk about what are your strengths? How do you bring those strengths to group time? You know what are the things that other people have strengths in so getting so the the lesson that i would write would meet that curriculum outcome because it's encouraging students to look at their strengths and look at the strengths of others and how can you work together in group time to make it successful so what does success look like so those are the sort of things i would include in a in a lesson um and then, of course, they might the students might be asked to to do a bit of writing or draw a picture or do some other activity that that kind of um, allows them to engage with that. Correct. Yes, and you know some of them, like for example, in uh, for Tokyo in um, secondary schools, part of it is about sustainability. The curriculum is about sustainability. Um, and I think it's uh, in the design and technology, but also in um, science, talking about sustainability. And I could be incorrect on the science part, but anyway, you get the idea that, you know, they have to look at sustainability issues in their community and how that can be applied um, to, to another community or something like that. So the, the lesson that I did for secondary schools was, okay, uh, Brisbane has put its hand up to host the 2032 Games. Um, part of that games is the international committee have put out this called the new norm. It's um, is it's the name of it, and it's talking about how can we make our future games more affordable, more sustainable, um, and I, I guess encourage. Um, greater participation so the students look at those elements in okay if Brisbane was to host the games so can we reuse um, existing facilities rather than building completely new ones um, can we look at you know if if we were to to uh, uh, retrofit an existing facility what would we have to do to accommodate the number of people that would come and from the games can the transport system um, uh, reduce its cost by being more efficient so or more effective um, so they look at those sort of components of hosting a games in Brisbane so that's where you take the curriculum sustainability um, in design and technology and science and apply it to a, a actual event and then they once so they've once they've come up with that plan, we encourage them to share that with the Olympic Committee, because you never know you, you could be you could come up with a a sterling idea that the Olympic Committee go, oh, we didn't even think of that. So um, you know, and then the you I know really, they, I really sorry you sorry you go 
No, I just get excited because a lot of the a, a lot of the um, primary and secondary, we do ask them to share with us what they're doing because you know one of them is a media. Um, they write a media piece, so they they research and then they they write something and then they send it to us, or they do a. Um, a podcast or they do a, uh, a television interview or so they do something that they send to us and you know we look at all of those and go wow that's that's a really great idea and we feed that into discussions internally so that we can look at okay is this something that we can actually learn from and use and of course you know we ref we recognize the student so that's where this um, you know, providing the best opportunities for students. You know, your piece of work is being shown to the Olympic Committee and is helping um, shape the 2032 Games. So that's where I get excited because that's what I'm always looking for. This money can't buy. Like, it doesn't cost anything for the organisation to, you know, to, um, you know, like sending out, gifts and that sort of thing it's it's really about giving those students a voice so that they can actually um you know see your learning in practice it's authentic learning yeah i guess just as you were talking then i just thought well yeah in teacher talk that the concept of student voice is really important so could you could you tell us a bit more about what what does that what does that look like you've already given us some examples but why is student voice important? Well, like, I think students are the, the biggest undertapped resource that we have. I think that there's a lot of uh, ideas that kids have that they need to be able to express them and be given a platform to express them. Um, because you just don't know. Like, they could come up with things that we have never even considered because their brains are in a different place to ours, you know, and, and it's, it's that whole idea of collaboration. So let's look at, you know, if we're developing programs or sporting activities for kids, why don't we ask them what they actually want? And can we then take those ideas that the kids have come up with and apply them for better outcomes, you know, for kids in sport, for example? So, you know, it's asking the students the questions um, and listening to actually what they're saying so that we can actually provide a better future for them. In this episode, I chatted with Heather McDonald, an education specialist and teacher. You can find more information about this episode in the show notes, including a link to Heather's website, Education Partnerships Schools. Thank you for listening to Perspectives in Parryville.